0: Episode 55, Speaking Confidently About Your Fears with Becky Perros. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin. And today, Deb, myself, and our guest Becky Perros discuss how to overcome the feeling of not belonging. We sift through Becky's transition from an introvert to becoming a public speaker, speaking confidently about her fears. <music> Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally. You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at macklinconnection.com. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today we have Deb Dendy and Becky Perose. So, Becky, if you could just for our listeners, could you give a like a, a short elevator speech on who you are?
1: I'll keep it as short as I can. 30 years in construction, come from a very dysfunctional background, abusive, violent, drunk sort of, you know, family environment. So, you know, that of course led me to go, Hey, working with men would be a great idea. And from that, I've had 30 years of that experience growing in leadership from, you know, been in charge of million and billion dollar projects and published my own book, contributed to about a dozen anthologies globally, written for the magazines for the last 10 years, as well as continuing full-time work. And currently I'm raising two demons that look like radiation redbacks. Nice. <laughs>
2: nice. Thank and you. Thanks a lot, Becky. And I've been reading some of your some of what you have on your website and noticing that you had a story at one point that you didn't fit in. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about that story
1: and, and what has, what has changed for you in your life? Okay. Well, as you can, you can probably immediately guess from a dysfunctional background with, you know, family violence and that sort of thing. There's already a, a sense of not fitting in simply because you don't know when you're growing up in an environment that other people aren't the way, but you suspect because you're not supposed to talk about it and no one discusses it and no one else is kind of, you know, coming to school or university or, or in your environment that's kind of displaying, I guess, the same characteristics or talking about that. So, you know, that are, that kind of already creates a sense of not fitting in. Then because of that environment I was growing up in, we moved regularly. So I went to 13 different primary schools. It's very hard to make friends. very hard to learn social skills when you're constantly in a different setting and unsettled and don't actually kind of have people around you to 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 model off or, or to sort of show you how to be in a group or, you know, what sort of long-term association looks like. And so then... Fast forward to my senior years in schooling, and I was very shy. No one believes it these days. Very shy, very introverted. You know, I go and hang out in the libraries and, and cover books and, and read books. You know, as a as a way of escaping my peers, simply because I didn't know how to relate to them. And then, of course, as I as I referred to, I've then gone and jumped into engineering, which back in the very early nineties was not a place that was welcoming to women. There were, you know, 640-odd men doing the degree and there were 10 of us females. And by the end of the first year, about four of those had already dropped off. And so that's not automatically welcoming either. So there's not a sense of fitting into that. And while I had great support from from the Dean of Engineering who was kind of like, you know, you women are the forerunners and going to make the way for the future and this is really exciting... That actually created probably more of a burden and more of an expectation for me to be that person than it actually made me feel welcome and like I fit in. Made some really great friends during that space and kind of learned a bit more about how to, you know, be social and interact and those sorts of things. But then I then I suppose I started working and I had to work to pay for my university degree. So I didn't do the the standard hospitality route or anything like that. I went and got a job in the engineering world which didn't pay very much but kind of kick-started that career for me and probably you know 30 years later I can see that that put me way ahead of my peers who studied for four years but didn't actually have any industry knowledge and so that was great for learning but again that whole you don't belong here you know and that was a message I actually got told once I hit the workplace you know Things like, you know, we're not going to take our our nudie magazines out of the toilet for you, so just learn to live with it because you don't really belong here. You know, you're taking the job of another bloke who's going to put food on his table for his kids. You know, all of those kinds of things were were plainly said to my face and worse. And so, you know, up until my mid-20s, there was never a place that I did fit in. There was never a place that I felt welcome. There was never any social structure and support around me because of, you know, the, the childhood, but then of, of the choices I made in the career. And it wasn't until about that mid sort of 20s that I realised that was actually a lack because, you know, as you know, you grow up and this is what you are used to, so it becomes the norm. And so, yeah, about mid-20s I was kind of like, I don't, you know, I don't go out, I don't socialise, I don't have a friend to go to the movies with and kind of started looking around and going, but everyone else seems to have this circle of, you know, what do you do on the weekend? I hung out with friends. That was not something I could say. And so then began the journey of why that was and, I suppose, how to make that what I wanted it to look like. Yeah, thank you. That's great.
0: So my next, not a question, it's a statement. I'm just going to say, as a male engineer in that world and representing all those guys that said you didn't fit in, I apologize. (laughs) Thank you. It's it's like... uh, I didn't do that, but it was also I am that. I am those those people, right? So I've also read you have a passion for project management.
1: I do. Is that correct? I do. I'm a control freak. I love it.
0: So what is it about project management that lights you up?
1: It, well, there's definitely the control freak satisfaction of being in charge, but it's it's the idea of having an idea. There is a there's a concept, there's a design, there is something to be created in the world that it's not yet manifest. And being the leader of that process to bring that into being is that's it's powerful. It's cool. It's it's satisfying. It, you know, it's it's all of those things. And it's short term, you know, despite some projects being sort of three to five years, it's still short term. It's not a lifelong goal that i you know, have to spend 60 years committed to. And commit to something for a couple of years and have a product, and/or a, a, a building, or a designer, or a railway, or, or whatever it is I'm working on, complete at the end. Which is, you know, it's incredibly satisfying to go. There's, you know, there's a pile of dirt to there is something that is now contributing, functional and useful for the rest of society. It's kind of like, you know, it's like the secret world construction where only those who are who are in that world, understand the power that we essentially hold over society because we provide your power, we provide your transport, you know, without us, you don't have a place to live, you don't have a place to work, you don't have air conditioning, all those sorts of things. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool being behind the scenes and and watching that creation process. Yeah, thank you. It's, it triggers me
2: to see you lit up about that (laughs) part, like that, that that's the part of creation, the Mm. creation that you get to help with. Has that always been part of you, like wanting to be cre- in a creative way? I
1: think I think so. Yeah, I didn't, I, I've i only recently come to the discovery that I'm actually quite creative because engineering and creativity don't necessarily lend themselves as a blend because we're following rules and we have, you know, regulations and standards and all that sort of stuff. So we have this, I guess, box we have to fit our, our outcomes into. But at the same time, how we get there and how we manage the people – how we inspire people to deliver that and, and achieve what they want and and watching their careers. So there is a lot of creativity in it but it's just not a label I thought of until I actually started writing and then that whole sort of reflective process of, you know, creative writing versus engineering and, and kind of looking at how that label does actually work very well in that space but yet engineers themselves don't feel and, again, it's possibly because, you know, Male and the word creative, it has a bit, I suppose, a bit of a soft connotation. And, you know, women in engineering don't tend to do soft in any way if they can help it. It's not seen as a, a benefit. It's cha- That is changing in the industry. But, you know, it, construction is hard. It's hard to do. It's a hard life. It's long hours. You're away from your family. It can be very dangerous. And so the word soft and creative doesn't kind of blend very well with that picture. I think we all hold in our in our heads, but I think it is something that does actually relate very well. Like, you look at some of the structures we're building these days that aren't just a you know a box of windows, particularly over in the in the in the sort of eastern block over there. They're making some amazing, beautiful structures that are also incredibly functional. And when did when did you when did you realize?
2: Like you talked about the creative side of yourself, but when did you realize that you could really be you in your work?
1: That's actually, that was so it was probably my first coaching course. So, as you can imagine from the childhood and being told not, not belonging in that sort of stuff, I went on a very deep dive into my own psyche and, you know, the things that I was told and why I believe them still and challenging all of that. So, NLP and a, and, and and a, a coaching course really kind of helped me dive into that and, and check into that process. And by doing that, obviously, I could then start to change those those thoughts and some of that mindset that was purely acceptance from what I was told as a child and then reinforced as a, as a young adult in that I don't belong and I don't fit in. So once I started to change that narrative and, and kind of discover my own, you know, self-worth and look at my achievements in a new light of of they were actually achievements, not just stuff I was doing to get by, I really started to (laughs) realise that I probably didn't want to fit in and that fitting in was kind of not actually the greatest desire I had. And so that sort of transmuted, I wanted to find like-minded people. I wanted to find like-minded friends. I wanted to have a group of people who also, you know, challenged the expectations of society, perhaps were outside of the box not just by working in, say, construction or anything like that, but through their views of the world. And that, that was probably late late 20s, so probably between, you know, 20, 27 to 30 that was sort of that journey of discovery and I started making really good friends who are still friends today and having that moment of, oh, my God, I love my life, you know. I've got – I'm cashed up because I work in a great job in a well-paying industry and when I have free time, I you know can go do whatever I want. So I can jump on a plane and travel to another state and drink wine and eat lobster for the weekend and come back half drunk and go back to work. <laughs> and so I started to realise that I, despite the thought processes that of sort of that previous 27 years, that I was actually living a life that I wanted and that I had created. And so that was fairly powerful. And so from then on I've kind of made a point of embracing that, and embracing my difference and, you know, hence the purple hair and all that sort of thing, kind of making a point that I don't quite fit in and I don't particularly want to, and that's okay.
0: And you went from being uh, somebody who hid in the library who was an engineer that was told not to be there, and now you're on magazine covers and have articles written about you and you're a public speaking person. Yes. There seems to be some jumps in there. I'm just trying to connect (laughs) all that, how you got to that point
1: because every every achievement I try and do better than the last. So there's this constant benchmark that I'm raising for myself. and as I said, I did that first coaching course that that really broke me down despite the fact that it helped change my mindset it really broke me down for about six months and spent a lot of time sort of reassessing reevaluating and Refocusing, so kind of when I, you know, I call that I guess my chrysalis stage. You know, when I when I came out of that, I suppose that was when I was like, well, it actually can't get worse than that. You know, I was in a wheelchair for a while. I was, it was very dark and and depressing, and I kind of went, well, I don't want to do that again. So let's go. You know, I don't necessarily have a lot of time on this planet because I also have a chronic illness and have had since eighteen, and all of that just kind of went. I just, I just go for it. Like, what have I got to lose? At the end of the day, I'm not meant to be here according to all of the input. I'm not meant to be achieving what I am achieving according to all of the feedback. And yet, despite all that, I'm doing that. So, I think, again, what have I got to lose? So, it's just a kind of more more of that, let go all the irrelevant stuff and go for it. And so, again, I did another coaching course and that was probably more beneficial in uh, actual practices and what, what really coalesced, I guess, in that when you talk about the jump to the public speaking is because I had turned into that extrovert who was happy to laugh at work and, and have weird coloured hair and, and I was using that NLP to actually engage with people on their level and so therefore was getting a lot of great responses. My boss was not any of those things threw up me one day that we're going to start doing toolbox talks, which is like a safety talk on a regular basis. And so he came to me and went, right, two o'clock today, you're going to give a speech on this topic. Now, I'd never seen myself as a public speaker. I'd never set myself up to be a public speaker. And the idea of that literally terrified me to the point where I went and threw up. I had a great, great friend working for me at the time. So she magicked up this beautiful PowerPoint and we leveraged my persona. So my boss previously had given me a little tiara, and I'd been dubbed the quality queen of this job. So we kind of leveraged that. So I said, "Toolbox time," we did tiara time, and I think Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was the popular movie of that year. And so we did the Hitchhiker's Guide to whatever this was, as a computer program or something that no one was using, and I had to tell them they had to use it, basically. And so I got up there and I just kind of, you know, used that extrovert to really push this kind of. And, you know, it was funny. So it suited me. And I got, (laughs) as I say, I got about 300 men spontaneously applauding me after delivering that, which one doesn't happen when you give safety talks and and tell them, you know, tell men what to do. But also to double down on that, my boss, who'd given me this, and when I saw this reaction, I realized he'd done it to kind of put me in my place. So that backfired. He was really quite put out. And it's like, I've never seen anyone give spontaneous applause to a toolbox before. How do you do that? How, why, why? How did How did that happen? And he was really quite, like, miffed that it happened. So I kind of, as I say to people, I kind of formed an instant addiction to public speaking right about then. There's nothing like the spontaneous applause about uh, several hundred men to kind of go, this is okay, I could do this again. And, yeah, so I have. So, again, I go, I go and seek out the opportunities. I don't wait for them to come to me. So, okay, I've decided I like public speaking. I then threw myself into to conferences and, you know, info nights in my industry to kind of get out there and practice that more. And, yeah, that's just kind of grown from then. And I do. I love it. It's another way of getting a message to more people. So it's just like having a fantastic conversation instead of one-on-one. I'm one to a 1,000 or 300 or 20. Depending on it, so it's just something I discovered after that that I, I I love to do. Yeah
2: how how do you how do you do that and relate especially with humor? I get, I've seen humor used in a lot of different ways, but just to disarm the crowd, either with a vulnerable story or with humor. How are you doing that? Is that just you? It's
1: well, apparently it's just me. I never set out to be comedic. Um, but at the same time I've learnt throughout I suppose my trials that if you laugh it has less power. And so allowing other people to have that laugh takes takes the sting out of it, particularly if I'm telling them, like in work, if I'm telling them you must do this, which is a lot of presentations. If I take the sting if I take the sting out of that, it just becomes a conversation about here's why you should do this. Here's my support for you to do this. Here's my encouragement instead of, you know, the stick of you will because I'm up here and it's my job to tell you and I'm your boss. It's a great equaliser. It makes people feel appreciated. You know, it gets all the endorphins going. So There's a lot of science behind it as well as it's just much nicer to have an audience that's happy to laugh and have a smile during whatever I'm presenting than sitting there with, you know, Crossed arms, half asleep going, Oh my god, is it coffee time yet? So I guess and you know, maybe it's my natural Leo, maybe it's to do with my star sign and it's in the stars that I'm just meant to be on stage and I miss my calling as a fabulous actress. Luckily for all those other people who want Golden Globes, so I'm not winning them all. I don't I don't know. <laughs> but I think I think there is merit in laughing more. I don't think we do that enough as a society, let alone as individuals. Yeah.
0: So what's next for you?
1: That's a really good question. And I never really know because I tend to make it up on the spot. Or I see something and I go, oh, I'm going to dive into that. And then, you know, have all the pangs of regret. I did that with a comedy course, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do a comedy course. People say I'm funny. Let's go do that. Signed up for it, told everyone about it, and then realized I had to do a five minute on stage comedy skit at the end of it to graduate. And all my friends wanted to come along to that, so that was terrifying. I did that with the books. You know, I had someone approach me and go, oh, I'd love for you to contribute. You've got a lot to say. I think you'd be great at this. I'm like, yeah, sure, no worries, and then went, crap, I don't know how to write. I'm not a writer, and then discovered that actually, yes, I am. So I, t- I don't tend to – I think previously when I was kind of creating that life, I had all this bucket list, and I got to 40, which was when the doctors said I probably – you know, that would be it for me – And realised that I not only ticked off the bucket list but added heaps more. So beyond 40, I'm kind of being a little less rigid, I guess, about like I have to achieve this, I have to achieve this, ticking those boxes and being a bit more open to exploring what comes up and what comes to me. So, you know, I'm running a couple of writing courses locally with a beautiful little bathhouse retreat. I'm a general manager of a building company in a time where trades are really struggling and the industry is really tough. So I've got some really good challenges there to to help grow business. That's kind of enough for now. I, I kind of have reached that point where I don't actually need to go and seek challenges to prove to myself anymore that I'm good enough. I fit in all those things. So I'm kind of learning how to relax a little bit. So that's probably my next thing is actually learning how to relax and just kind of be in that moment and go with the flow, getting prepared for this old age adventure that I'm currently being told I'm going to have anytime soon because of my age. So, yeah, it's it's a case of, I don't know, what have you got? You know, when people ask what's next, you go, what have you got? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's,
2: as I notice you, you speak your fears very confidently. Like I could, I can imagine myself saying, I don't know, like in my head, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. And yet you speak them confidently and then they just go like you push them aside and it's just fun to watch you accept those, but just move them away. And I'm just, I'm just noticing you because a lot of times I could be in my head thinking I'm afraid, I'm afraid to do that next thing. Whereas you're like, well, I don't know, but I'm going to jump into it.
1: Absolutely. Were you always like that? No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> That's another learnt behaviour. And I guess when you look at the childhood I had and what I went through and what I experienced, and we won't get into that because we don't need to. But you know, it was pretty bad. I kind of, you know, it's it's that comparison of well, nothing's ever going to be as bad as that. So what mm. really do I have to fear? Really? Mm. You know, I've had rheumatoid arthritis since I was 18, lots of pain and, oh, medication, problems, and, and, and. like, is it going to be as bad as that? No. You know, fear is something that I think we buy into too much instead of just going, yep, that's scary. What the hell? Do it anyway. And so I think I developed a philosophy of that's terrifying. Better go do that because that's something that's now controlling me. So better that I control it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Like, how do, when you're, when you meet somebody and you realize fear has them, what, what lines do you toss them or what, what do you say to them?
1: What's the worst that can happen? And seriously, and seriously, what is the worst that can happen? Let's talk about it. Get it out. What is the, what is the most catastrophic thing that you think is going to be a part of this process? And then let's look at that and then break that down and find out that it's not real. It can't actually happen. Or it's nowhere near as scary because it's just a human reaction that you're expecting that you've then built up into be something cataclysmic. You know, yeah, okay, you do something like jump out of a plane, yeah, you could die, sure, that's the worst that could happen. What's the stats on that then? You know? But are you going with someone reputable? You're going with someone licensed? Are you gonna watch them fold up their shoot? Like these are the ways in which you can, if you really want to do it, talk yourself into it. Or don't, and then let it go because or what we do when we're kind of stuck in that fear and we're doing that should I, shouldn't I, I can't but I want to, it's just a waste of energy. Like for someone who kind of thought she didn't have a lot of time in her life, I don't have time for that. I don't have the energy for that. I'm too busy trying to achieve in the next thing. Like if it's not going to light me up or give me that goal or that achievement or that next step, then I don't have time for it. I'm, I'm too busy. And I think that's where... It's, this is probably a a conversation, but I think that's where our modern society has kind of gone wrong in this introspection. We, we've kind of got caught up in this analysis paralysis and we allow too much time for the but how am I feeling? It's like, great, that's how you're feeling. Get on with it. You know, you're getting stuck in this feeling and feeling it and, you know, then analysing the feeling and then feeling it some more and then expressing the feeling. Like, that's great if that's you and that's how you want to be, but I oh, ain't nobody got time for that. I've got life to live. I've got shit to achieve. Sorry for your American audiences. I know they do not like passwords, but I've got things to be doing. I've got places to go, man. Like you can sit there and you can have all that emotion. Great. I'm moving on. And so I have, you know, I have had friends who are really, really stuck in their place and they're very adamant they're going to stay in that place until the big wide universe gives them that sign that is really obvious that says you should move now. And that's not how that works. You have to move yourself because nothing's out there helping you. You know, you can have your faith and all those sorts of things which are really good support mechanisms. At the end of the day, if you're not doing anything, you're not doing anything, and end of story.
2: Yeah, you really triggered me to think about it being a choice.
1: <laughs> it, I do believe it is. At some point after you've analysed that emotion and recognised where it's come from and, and what it's doing for you, it becomes a choice to stay there or not. Yeah, yeah. It's very heavy for me this early in the morning. Like, I don't know what t- oh, it's evening for you guys, but I'm like, wow, I haven't even had my second cup of tea. Look how deep we're getting. That's yeah. <laughs> great. Well,
0: we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you a little moment here while you're drinking your tea. This is a moment in our podcast where we open it up to you. What questions do you have of us?
1: Well, you said engineer, so I'm curious as to what, what Deb does. I was formerly an engineer. I my sympathies. I have very... <laughs> Similar
2: background to you, electrical engineer. And at some point in my career, really saw people as the creative outlet that I wanted to be with. So started my career designing integrated circuits and said, hmm, this is this is something. Yawn. <laughs> <laughs> but I always say electrons kind of behave how they're supposed to, but people, they're they're challenging and fascinating and Interesting and new, and that's where I chose to focus my time. So I've helped in multiple startups, but really focusing on the people side now. And recently joined Ron (laughs) about six months ago now. I left my corporate career to do this full time. Nice. So to be a coach, and yeah, and I love
1: it. It's refreshing to refocus on people because, you know, I don't know if you guys have a similar saying, but over here we're kind of like the best thing about projects is the people, worst thing about projects is the people. You know, you know, it does, it goes either way and I do believe that has a lot to do with the leader, which is why you know I've tried to become the best leader I can. And I think that's, a, that's an interesting theme I see is that when people reach a certain level of leadership, they realise they can't actually be a leader in that industry anymore and they need something more and they need to have a better outlet or look for a more recipient audience. So I don't don't know if you guys sort of have come to that or feel like that's been a part of your journey, not that you tell the people you used to work with that, but, you know, there's something to be said for people who want to hear what you have to give and say and and want that coaching support that you can offer as opposed to the people who are happy just to be told what to do and, and stay in that job and that space and that place.
2: Yeah, it is. It is rewarding when you see the impact you can make can be broader, broader than the impact you had previously. That was that's my story. Yeah,
1: and so why do not you start the story in your head? Because it's obviously a fascinating topic that can go in you know many ways. But yeah, I'm curious as to what 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 specifically the story in your head is. Very specific, I guess, concept.
0: So it started from like we started a program. So I was uh, uh, also an engineer, a mechanical engineer, realized it way too late in my engineering education process to say I would not be an engineer because it was too close to the end. And I spent all my time focusing on the people because I grew up playing football, which was about getting people to work together as a team. And I really loved that part of working with engineers and tradesmen and craftsmen and a machine, all that stuff, right? And and customers and everything else because you had to get ready to work together as a team. I, I took it on a challenge for a long We Set around nine different world records and we took power, big nuke power plants all the way apart, put them all back together and have them start up and run for two years. Wow. And had a lot of fun doing it. And I didn't want to do like any engineering or, and I really didn't <laughs> know that I really wanted to stay in, in that power. What I wanted to do was I wanted to take on more, problem team, like teams that are having problems. Ones that people go like, well, they're just terrible people over there. And I go, cool, give me over there, right? Because I loved watching those same people turn in world records and best place to work in Houston and Texas. We won that award and I went did it in Europe. and I just loved that part of it. And what I really started to love was building the teams that could do that. And the way I did that was to be able to notice the stories we all had in our heads, notice what our fears were notice how to connect with each other, build trust, be vulnerable. And then all the other stuff took care of it. We like, we, we went from losing 12 million when I got on one particular project operations to break even to plus 20 million to plus 40 million. And we never focused on the dollars. I like mm-hmm. we, ne- we never said, okay, we're going to fix the dollar thing. No, we're going to, yeah. we're going, we're going to build trust. We're going to build a team. We're going to, this is how we're going to work together. This is how we take care of each other. This is how we, you know, be open and vulnerable, everything that's going on. And we went from, well, it was like seven managers in a row got fired. Well, they, you know, they never fired them. They just said, we'd like you to go over here now. Right? Yeah. And and then you go, okay, Ron, you're, you're turning the hole. Cool. Seven years later, we'd won the best place to work in Houston and most profitable place. And we tripled our size. I mean, they kept adding more groups to us, right? So it wasn't about the money and the profitability, the T, the, the all that. It was about working with teams and working with those stories that we have in our heads that we don't know that we made those all up anyway. And so as we shifted to, I shifted away from just working in corporations to working in a smaller corporation to a smaller one to now starting my own four years ago. And what we focus on is all those stories we have in our head. And that's why we named the podcast, The Story in Your Head. Mm. Most people are learning, haven't discovered it yet. Those are just stories in your head. They're not real. They are yours. You made them. Sometimes when you were 7, 15, 21 years of age, you made them up, and then you forgot that you made them up, and you think they're real. Yeah. And that's what we work on to, to pull people together to have great lives. And our programs and what we're after, really, is whether you have a GED or a doctorate, you can work with our stories that we create and your own stories to have a good life. Yeah. The the kind that you want, the way you want to shape it, and take on any challenge you want to take on. Yeah. And so we created a story in your head, podcasts to give people access to noticing all those stories we make up in our heads. And because we created them the first time, we could change them, create a new one.
1: Yeah. Well, as a writer, you, you, you hold the pen. You write the story of your own life. If you don't like how the last chapter ended, start a new chapter and end it differently.
0: And our goal is to make sure everybody gets the opportunity to hold that pen.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that story with me. Yeah. You're very welcome. No, it's um it's yeah, it's something as you can probably tell we am a bit passionate about too, you know, that we get stuck we get stuck in these stories and forget, yeah. They're just stories. They're just they're our fairy tale, just like Rapunzel and Cinderella with the fairy tales of old. And as we can see with well, oh, I don't like Disney. Disney tends to rewrite to the exception of toxic positivity but you know we can rewrite anything <laughs> like we can you know throw the tropes out
0: did you say toxic positivity
1: i did say toxic positivity
0: that's good i love that <laughs> it's a pretty good description pretty pretty good description of disney
1: yes <laughs> and and uh, you know and some of the, some of the coaching world where it's you know just 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 believe it and it will happen and it's like well that's not the case you need a lot of action behind that belief Belief's the first step. Action is the next step, and the next
0: step, and the next step, and the next step after that.
1: Yeah, but it all starts with recognizing that you've got a story going on.
0: Uh, yeah, we agree. Well, Becky, thank you for being on our podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I wish you a great day. Normally I say good, a great evening, but this is the beginning of your day. Sure I wish is. you a great rest of your day, and thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for allowing me to share my story.
2: Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.